0: Unmasking Prejudice Silencing the Internal Voice of Bigotry by Dr. Melody Hilton Chapter 3. The Internal Voice of Bigotry Has prejudice escalated or has it only become more visible? Either way, it's harmful. It is scarring for those consumed in its prison and dangerously contagious for those swayed by its display. Many assume the anger associated with corruption and injustice, but, sadly, direct it in an injurious and divisive way. One fact remains, observable prejudice would never be exhibited if it did not first originate in an internal dialogue. It is my premise that prejudice has not increased. Rather, for a long period, it remained quietly seething inside the hearts and minds of those both affected and infected by it. Even at specific times and seasons when things seemed better, calmer, more peaceful without visible eruptions of bigotry, a lack of public attention does not mean that there was not an active volcano of prejudice bubbling in the hushed tones of society. I have traveled to the beautiful nation of Nicaragua more times than I can remember. Nestled in the middle of Central America, Nicaragua is known as the land of lakes and volcanoes, housing 58 volcanoes, six of which are active. I have had the amazing experience of hiking a couple of these lava-housing mountains during my trips there. I was in awe of the beauty of the tropical foliage as I looked at the prettiest orchids that just grow randomly everywhere. Without the awareness that I was hiking an active volcano, it could appear to be the most beautiful paradise. However, there was more to this utopia than met the eye. What I saw on the outside was not a true representation of what was below the surface— a fiery, hot, burning core. The raging blaze burning deep within the heart of the volcano soon became evident as we moved toward fractures, vents, in the ground where scorching steam and volcanic materials escaped. At this point, it became very important to watch where I walked to protect myself from being burned by the steam. About 25 kilometers from Nicaragua's capital city of Managua, the Masaya volcano was covered in volcanic ash and rock. As I walked, I felt the heat penetrating through the thick soles of my shoes. It was like walking on a hot oven. The heat was inescapable because the pressure of the core magma reservoir puts constant force to fracture the Earth's crust. As we walked to the top of the volcano, I experienced an intimidating sight as I looked directly into the mouth of the Masaya volcano. It was like looking into the mouth of hell, as boiling liquid fire spewed uncontrollably. It was scorching hot and threatening in its capability to harm. I didn't want to stay in that vulnerable place too long. I realized that at any point, that volcano had the potential to release what was in its mouth and cover the landscape with its devastation. The internal voice of bigotry is like hellfire, inside of our minds stoked by our thoughts. It broods and stirs within, just waiting to explode and trigger mass devastation that divides people, communities, and nations. Thus, my proposition that prejudice has not increased, but has been there all along, It has only been waiting for the opportunity to move from the fear-based core of our soul and out of our mouth to bring ruin. We cannot simply bury or hide the voice of bigotry. We must silence it completely. I think of it like this. If I do not deal with the prejudice that is inside of myself, it will ultimately bring harm to the people who could have been my greatest assets, colleagues, and friends. It will steal opportunities for me to enjoy heart connections and, on a broader scale, taint my ability to celebrate and appreciate the nation and people that I love. The fact is that when I choose not to embrace diversity, I am sabotaging myself. Our success both individually and together could very well be, and undoubtedly is, through partnerships with those who are completely different than us. Not innate, but adapted beliefs. Former president of South Africa, Nelson Mandela, courageously stood against apartheid. He said, no one is born hating another person because of the color of their skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they learn to hate, They can be taught to love, for love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. We are not genetically or innately predisposed toward prejudice. Beginning in the womb, we are being taught and influenced as information enters our five senses in rapid-fire progression. This happens both consciously and subconsciously. When we accept the thoughts associated with that information, Neural memory is formed. This is much like data entering a computer. The more we process a thought, the more established the memory is within our mind-brain. This memory creates an automatic pattern of thought or belief that shapes our actions. The old adage is true that you reap what you sow. A farmer could never harvest crops if he or she did not plant the seed. Some claim that prejudice is spiraling out of control. If that supposition is true, we must be consciously confronting every seed planted in our children and youth. As leaders and influencers, we must be personally compelled to raise our voices and courageously stand against the propagation of misinformation and divisiveness. Science has proven that our brains are wired for love and validation. For more on this topic, see my book, Higher Living Leadership. All we have to do is observe a small child and witness the value they place upon trusted relationships. They have a core need to be loved, and they display that love to others, especially other children, without fear. Little human beings have no race, gender, religious, or political bias. They do not care if a person is rich or poor, young or old, highly educated, or intellectually challenged. They do, however, have an innate ability to know if they are safe and loved. Seeds of bias and prejudice begin to limit a child's independent creative thinking. Stereotypes become their fear-based, knee-jerk reaction. Dr. John Leaf, a specialist in neurophysiology, says, Complex brain circuits are correlated with prejudice and stereotyping. Prejudicial behavior is based on multiple inputs, a rapid amygdala fear response, higher-level, slower emotional responses, and conceptual cognitive responses. All of these are trained. Mostly by unconscious social suggestions. One day, my oldest grandson was visiting at our house. He has always been an affectionate child and loves to watch movies with his mem and pap. That day, we cuddled up in our recliners to watch a true story called Woodlawn. This movie is set in the early 1970s in Birmingham, Alabama. It depicts a talented young black football player who is required to face the intense racial tensions and confront the culturally acceptable division and prejudice around him. At nine years old, my grandson had never been exposed to blatant racial prejudice. His whole life, he had been positively influenced by loving and trusted individuals of various races. The thoughts of inequality or bias due to race had never crossed his mind because those seeds were never planted there. As the movie began to unfold, he shockingly inquired why these black football players were treated so badly. I shared with him the truth that there were, and still are, narrow-minded prejudiced people in the world. He became quite upset, and with great emotion he said repeatedly, that is wrong. No one should be treated unfairly. I agreed with him and used this as an opportunity to tell him how to respond to anyone who would speak with bigotry. He became increasingly emotional and absorbed in this true story as the movie continued. At one point, he looked at me and with anger said a bad word he was taught not to say about anyone. Stupid. That is just stupid. That is just stupid. I agreed with him and said, yes, it is stupid. Racial prejudice had never been seeded into his young mind. Therefore, he saw it for what it was and is. Stupid. He was also angry. The emotions of anger take place when we feel devalued or shamed. We also feel anger when our convictions are violated. Often, we blame anger for behavior. However, the problem is not the emotions of anger, but rather our response to it. That moment was the appropriate time to teach my grandson how to respond to the anger he felt in order to be a voice of justice in a productive way. Culture has the potential to subconsciously coach us into accepting ways of thinking that are counterproductive for success healthy relationships, teamwork, and leadership. My book, Higher Living Leadership, explains, Culture is a reproducible system of beliefs that shape the actions of individuals. It communicates to others what are and are not acceptable beliefs and actions. Culture tells you what is right or wrong and what you must do to fit in. We learn our culture through instruction and observed behavior. Most would agree that we live in a global culture where there is a widespread epidemic of mistrust. Decisions are often stress-filled and fear-driven, and the most common mentalities are self-serving and self-gratifying. At the same time, there is a remnant of emerging and established leaders who combat this epidemic by serving as catalysts for positive change in their realms of influence. My husband and I live in rural Pennsylvania. We moved from the Midwest to a small white German community in 1982. At that time, the area was singularly cultured with no ethnic diversity to be found, nor was it welcomed. I am of German descent, and my husband's heritage is English, Scottish, and Irish. We're both as white as white gets, And even we, because we were not born here, were not welcomed. We were told, you'll never be accepted here, so you might as well leave. My husband grew up in Kansas City, Missouri's inner city, and we met in the D.C. metro area. Both of us have always loved diversity, and we weren't thrilled to have found ourselves in the midst of the monotone countryside, because we too were outsiders, not welcomed by the locals we would often head to the city for a reprieve from small-town thinking. Nevertheless, we knew it was where we were supposed to be. Rather than leaving and instead of conforming, we purposed to confront prejudice head-on in every way possible. We welcomed our friends of other races to come. As a woman, I caused an uproar by taking on roles traditionally reserved for men. Even though the culture said that we didn't belong, We made it our home, and we were determined to set a countercultural precedent. Today, many years later, the social and racial terrain is vastly different in a beautiful way. The area is welcoming and safe. While small thinking remains among the few, as with anywhere, their voices fall on deaf ears to the majority. Our children grew up here, and now our grandchildren are being raised here as well they enjoy our picturesque little community. Our home rests on seven beautiful acres of land. As much as I love it, I recognize that the bigger the acreage, the more labor-intensive it is to manage. I found that it is easier to uproot a maple tree seedling than it is to remove a matured tree after 20, 30, or 40 years. At our home, we had a huge, ugly tree at the base of our driveway. It was very much alive, but I hated that tree. It was so big, towering more than 40 feet high. I was faced with two choices. I could have my husband risk life and limb to cut it down or pay a large amount of money to hire a professional. I chose to pay the financial price because of love for my husband. A human being holds much greater value than an ugly seed that grew out of control. It took four men with all their fancy machinery four hours to cut down that tree. It would have been better if that seedling had never taken root. As leaders, we must manage our internal world with greater fervor. We must shoulder the responsibility to avoid seeding a generation with our painful experiences, fear-based assumptions, and prejudicial mindsets. This is not difficult to do if we first pay the price to silence our own internal narrative of prejudice, as slight as it may be. If we can overcome what was seeded through personal and family experiences or cultural indoctrination, we will speak, influence, and propagate a message that supports healing. We don't have to hide our experiences. We can, however, communicate them with a message that will empower people to be free from mindsets that are destructive to their personal and professional success. We can communicate information without imposing a set of stereotypical beliefs. We can communicate the pain of our past from a position of powerful, purpose-filled choices. When we can confront the internal voice of bigotry through self-awareness, accurate information, and empathetic and honest communication, We can dismantle what divides us, build bridges that cross every prejudicial gap, and heal the wounded heart. Challenges are a part of life. They authenticate courage and build confidence as we journey through all opposition, whether internal or external. However, fear-based memory will not flourish in the mind of the brave. Instead of stereotyping groups of people, we can look for opportunities to find the good in our fellow man. We can model the way of intrinsic power by making healthy, peace-driven decisions and channeling our reactions to negative world events into powerful and solution-driven responses. This is not the time in history where passive and silent bias remains acceptable or justified in our thoughts or attitudes. Rather than quietly avoiding or suppressing prejudicial lava once more, awaiting a repeated eruption, let us be the ones who change the narrative by bringing healing to hearts and lands.